Well, good morning, and uh, yeah, we're definitely going to be just taking a look this morning at, uh, I mean, you could sum it up as the freedom that we actually do have, and a little bit different uh, angle that I'm going to take a look at it from this morning, but uh, let's just pray. Because we need help, right? I especially need help. So, Father, we just uh, acknowledge that you are God this morning, and um, you are King, and we just know that you desire for us to know you, and not just know about you and not just hear about you, but you actually want us to know you. And we just say this morning that we do want to know you better. And uh, we just ask that you would come and open our ears and our hearts so that we could hear what you're saying to us this morning individually and just that you would teach us and speak to us through your word so that we can know you better. And uh, we just... Rest in the confidence that because it's your will, we, we have what we ask of you and that you will honor that. And just pray for uh, boldness that I could speak as I ought to. And uh, just thank you for being able to, us being able to gather this morning. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Uh, We're going to be looking at uh, quite a bit of scripture this morning. I'm not really going to stop and give you references on a lot of it because I'm not, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just saying I'm going to be reading a, a fair amount and just you'll see why. But uh, if anyone wants references or anything like that, I'll have them available afterwards. Uh, you can just ask me. So uh, just kind of rest in uh, hearing the word, and um, we're going to start in Isaiah 9, and this is a prophecy given quite, quite a while ago, but it says, uh, starting in verse 1, it says, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. So, and just as an aside, the battle of Midian, that, uh, that's referencing Gideon. I don't know if you guys remember, uh, even just a few weeks ago, we were looking at that. So, um, God's going to break the rod of the oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. Uh, supernatural deliverance. 
For every boot on the booted warrior in the t battle tumult and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So if you're uh, a Jew living around 30 AD, you know, the old what we call our Old Testament, that's what they would call their Bible, right? Because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. So like they're, that's their scriptures. And they're looking at that. Uh, they are uh, under invasion slash occupation by the Roman forces. And the, the Roman government has set up um, oppressive rulers over them. You know, like, so just imagine if you're one of them reading Isaiah 9. And you're like, oh, man, you know, I can't wait until, like, the Messiah comes and sets us free from our oppressors and, and those who hate us and our enemies. And in their mind, you know, like phrases, you know, like the rod of the oppressor, like the battle of Midian, which was a physical real battle that happened. And uh, just everything that I just read in Isaiah 9 there. But if you look at uh, Matthew 4, this is actually... Like, we can look back, and it's the fulfillment of Isaiah 9. And Matthew 4 says, Now when Jesus heard that John, the Baptist, had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Quote, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sit, uh, sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we've got this, I've just been kind of fascinated by this, this prophecy that was given, and then you have this recorded fulfillment, and putting myself in their shoes, it's kind of doesn't really jive like it's not quite what I was expecting uh, you know they were looking for physical deliverance from their oppressors from their enemies and we know all through the gospels like you know they're like oh when are you going to set up your set up your kingdom and you know they're ready to just be appointed rulers over this kingdom right now and all that you know we kind of touched on that the last time I shared and um, you know Jesus I love how uh, Luke calls him the sunrise from on high, and he's like this light, the sun rising that's dawning upon this land of darkness. And you, you know, all seen really pretty sunrises, and it's just like, like just flooding with light. And uh, it it wasn't physical though, right? Like Jesus did not deliver them from the Roman occupation and oppression. And he didn't set up a physical kingdom when he was here. So the light didn't quite show up how they thought it was going to. And, 
you know, this is one of just the main points. I'll just give it to you now. Is like God is always doing something far better than we imagine. So God prophesied that he would save them, break the rod of their oppressors. But how he did it was so, so, so much better than they imagined and so different than what they expected. And, uh, you know, just I can't quite get off of this expectation thing for the last few months. Uh, You know, the Burnett's shared on that. And it's kind of come up off and on. I've shared on it, and it's like, I think I stumble a lot because I have different expectations than what actually happens. And so I'm wanting us just to look at our king and really just be in awe over his desire for us and his plans and just look at the wisdom that he demonstrates and the power that he demonstrates and it's all for our good which is really awesome uh, so it wasn't a physical deliverance the battle of Gideon and the Midianites it's like God said that but it was it was like the shadow of what he really was going to do he's like this is the just a physical picture of what I'm actually going to do in a much deeper more profound way uh, and it's it's like a physical picture of the unseen battle of the ages against the oppressors of sin death and Satan and I would include in that the rulers of this age uh, the fallen angels and Kenny has mentioned that in the past couple weeks just Ephesians 6 and we'll read that a little bit later, but it's talking about, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but you guys know the rest, you know, against the powers, the rulers, you know, in dark, uh, powers of darkness in high places. So it's like Jesus and God, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit looking down on his people. And he's like, you guys are seeking deliverance from Roman occupation. How about deliverance from death itself. So, (laughs) I just, I don't know, I I picture, you know, the Jews at that time, the people of God, they're like, oh, you know, they're looking at the Roman occupation, just like, oh, this is the worst. Uh, When are we ever going to be set free? When are we going to stop being the oppressed people? And, um, you know, I, on the one hand, them looking for physical deliverance, I think, is totally natural. And based on the prophecy, it's kind of almost legitimate, you know. Like, you can see where they're coming from. You know, uh, in, uh, in Luke, when John the Baptist's dad, remember, he was struck mute because he didn't believe God. And uh, then the first thing, he, he starts talking, he's, basically, he's prophesying, the Holy Spirit comes on him. And it says, uh, his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Salvation, quote, salvation from our enemies 
and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Well, you know, so there again, like he's looking at a physical deliverance mostly. I think, you know, he's obviously, like he's prophesying, so the Holy Spirit is definitely giving hints in that passage if you read it about the forgiveness of sins and stuff. But like he's still kind of thinking, yeah, this is it. Like my son's the forerunner for the Messiah who is going to deliver us from occupation and oppression. And it's like God saying, well, what's, what's the greater enemy? You know, an army that can kill you and oppress you or the fact that you can die in the first place. What, what's the greater threat here? <laughs> and uh, Jesus is always looking at a deeper underlying issue, and he's, he's looking at death itself. And like one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Hosea 13, 14, and this is God speaking. And he says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from my eyes. Like, I'm not going to have pity on you, my enemy. And my enemy is death. So our God is a warrior. He's, like, looking at the enemy. He's looking at death going, I'm going to get you. I'm I'm so going to get you. And, uh, you know, I hope you guys understand me. Like, uh, obviously, it is appointed, Hebrews says, for man to die once. But... After that, for those of us who are in Christ, you know, it says of Jesus, like, death, he died once, never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. And because we're united to him, because he rose, we will rise. Because he lives, we live. And, you know, we're united to him, so his immortality is given to us which I think everyone in here probably knows that, you know, like we're not going to die again after, you know, once we die and get our resurrected bodies. But I kind of want to just focus on that a little bit because it's, it's, it's amazing. All right. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I know how to change the batteries on this. Loud. Uh, is that better? All right. Okay, so there's always going to be men there to oppress us, to oppress the people of God. And God's like, well, but what if I turn back time, so to speak, and undo death itself? What if I give you real, undying, indestructible bodies, free from sin, the devils, and wicked men? What would you rather have? You know, what if 
I make everything sad come untrue. And that is literally the good news. Like, that is the gospel. Forgiveness of sins is certainly the very heart of it, but it's to the end that we are united to him forever and that he's giving us our lives back. Like, I don't know if that makes sense to you. I mean, I think we just, you know, we're just so focused on this life, but it's really just kind of like the introduction. This is like the training ground. There's going to be a new earth that he makes. Heaven will come down. God will dwell with man, with us, and we're going to have resurrected bodies on this earth. Like, I mean, are you kidding me? (laughs) Never to die again? Like, that's the part of the good news that I just, I don't think it gets hit very much, you know? And I need to hear that because, like, it should fill you with hope, and it kind of takes everything that happens in this life, and it's like, yeah, there's going to be troubles now, for sure. Like, that's, you know, least favorite promise of Jesus of all time. In this world, you will have tribulation. It's like, okay. But when you understand that this isn't the end, and that it's, that heaven's not just a wispy reality where we just kind of fade off, and we're kind of like ethereal ghosts up, you know, I don't know how people think of heaven, but I know how I thought of it in the past, so just like the, you're with the grandfather in the sky, and you know, he's got a big beard, and big white beard, and he's kind of just like disinterested, and we're all like, what do we, what do we do now, you know, it's like, (laughs) but it's going to be like so much better than that, Um, I love the mountains, there's going to be mountains uh, on the new earth, so this is like the greatest story ever told, and so many people, like the people of God of his day, like when Jesus was here, they kind of missed it, right? And I don't want us to make the same mistake. I don't want me to make the same mistake and miss out on uh, being just filled with the hope and joy that's available, the freedom that's available when we start really dwelling on these truths. And, you know, like I think of popular movies like the, you know, Infinity Wars, the Avengers, like, this story is way better, you know, and it's true. (laughs) Like, Jesus is the warrior attacking death on our behalf, you know, he's like in love with his people, and he's going after us, conquering death and the grave. And then he's giving us, like, this fresh start. Not only now, but later. Like, when Paul's saying, like, oh, I just consider everything, like, can't, I don't know if I can say what he actually, I think, was saying in there, but dung, you know, uh, in view of what I'm gaining. And he wasn't just talking about now, but he's talking about later. Like, he's like, I'm going to know him as he knows me, you know, it's going to culminate with our resurrected bodies where there's like no, no veil, no hindrance in us knowing him, and there's not going to be any shame there either because we're white. Like, our sin is literally gone. And it is literally gone now, but then we're not going to have these bodies, you know, and we're going to have 
I believe, a similar body. Jesus was recognizable by his disciples. You're still going to look like you, but the part that's tainted by sin is just not going to be there. The flesh, the old man, who we used to be. And um, the way that God accomplished this story just totally blows my mind. Uh, That his wisdom is... And his power and his cunning is amazing. So I'm going to read John 3, just a small portion here. And it's, uh, it says, this is, this is Jesus speaking. He says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. For he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. I mean, I look around our culture right now, and it's like, this pretty much explains everything, right? You know, um, there's people in power who don't know the gospel, don't believe the gospel. Their deeds are evil, so they hate the light. And there's a whole bunch of them that are in the process of making the light illegal, right? Pressing legislation to put out the light. We should not be surprised at that as believers. I mean, here Jesus, you know, God's like, yeah, this totally makes sense. You know, everyone who does evil hates the light, and they do not want to come to the light. They don't want to be around the light. They would rather just kill the light, put it out, right? So I believe that's where our culture is it's he- it's heading, you know, like, if left unchecked, you know, if, if we don't have a, another great awakening or five, you know, like, it's going to just continue along the road of darkness trying to put out the light. And uh, it, to me, it just speaks of the nature of Satan, right? Obviously, you know, his, before he fell, he was called Lucifer, uh, he was the actual light bearer. He's one of the chief angels. And he, it's like he was this star that imploded in selfishness. And he became the king of darkness, like the exact opposite of what he was. And, you know, this is his nature. He is evil, and he hates the light. Uh, you know, immediately he was plotting to murder the light um, you have God the Son showing up in human flesh, and we know that, obviously, you know, it's like mortal flesh, right? Like, he didn't come down as his resurrected self. He came down, he took on, like, full manhood without the sin. He took on mortal flesh like he could die, right? So, he takes on this vulnerability, or so it seems, and uh, it's almost like he's baiting the enemy, and Satan takes the bait. He cannot help it. He hates the light. He's like, you know, I imagine Satan just looking at the Messiah showing up as a baby, and he's like, (laughs) you know, evil laugh, maniacal laugh, like, I'm so going to kill this guy. This This is good. I can't believe he just made himself so vulnerable, you know, it's like, ah. and then you've got, obviously, Herod, 
who I, it doesn't say in scripture that I'm aware of, but it's like, you know, Herod finds out that the Messiah's born, and he's like, oh man, I, I think he was more like, I better just get rid of this king, you know, because he's threatening my kingship, and he's slaughtering all the babies, and, you know, Mary and Joseph left because they were warned in a dream, you guys know that story, but behind that, I definitely see the agenda of the Lord of Darkness, you know, trying to put out the light as soon as possible, and it just continues all the way through. You know, he's the energy, the dark energy behind the Pharisees and the Sadducees trying to entrap him, trying to kill him. And then it gets to, uh, like, John 13. Uh, this is, you know, right towards the end. This is the Last Supper. And it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from the supper and laid aside his garments, and taking the towel, he girded himself and he washes their feet. But John, thir- I mean, John is telling us, like, we're, he's looking back and is like, yeah, Jesus knew what was going on, obviously, and uh, we have it very clearly, you know, like the devil was, had already put it into the heart of Judas to betray him. And in verse 21, it says, uh, you know, Jesus is saying, he's telling his disciples, like, one of you is going to betray me. And they're like freaking out because they all think it's, you know, like, is it me? Ah, Jesus. And, you know, verse 21, he says, um, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another, at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. And he leans back on Jesus' chest and says to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus then answered, That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So then when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, it says, quote, Satan then entered him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew what purpose, for what purpose he had said this to him. So everyone's pretty much clueless. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. And if you can just kind of step back or, you know, pull back and look at what's really going on. You've got, you know, God the Son, you know, he's, he's taking on mortal flesh because to redeem mortal flesh, he has to become mortal flesh. To atone and wipe out the sins of you and I, he had to become one of us. So he, he, he is doing this. And, you know, you've got Satan plotting, 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 you know, I'm going to kill that guy. I'm going to kill the Messiah. This is awesome. I can't believe how dumb can you be? You know, he's just like, ha, ha. And, you know, I didn't read. There was in that John 13 passage, Jesus quotes uh, Psalm 41, which was written a thousand years beforehand. And he's like, this is to fulfill the scripture and, you know, spoken a thousand years ago. You know, God speaking through David prophetically, you know, the one, my 
my best friend, he's going to betray me. And obviously God knew before that, but it's just, it's almost like a, he's like proving it. He's like, guys, I know you don't understand what's going on, but there is a plan. Trust me, you know. And Jesus essentially is, is picking a fight with the God of this world and the fallen angels. He actually needed to die to accomplish his plan of defeating death and bringing us back to himself. So sometimes God has to hide what he's doing, but we need to trust him. Even if you don't understand now, you will see his wisdom in the end. So he asks us to just lean on him and to trust him. He wasn't trying to be mean. He wasn't trying to hide things from his people. Really, he was more hiding it from the kingdom of darkness. 1 Corinthians 2 says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age. The rulers of this age, that's referring to the powers of darkness, who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age, when you hear that, rulers of this age, Paul is referring to the Ephesians 6, you know, we wrestle against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So he's saying, you know, if it's a wisdom which... None of the rulers of this age, the, the Lord of darkness, has not understood it. Quote, for if they had understood it, they would, have they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So God is like hiding his plan from Satan because he needs him to take the bait, and Satan does it. And if they, I mean, it says right here, like, I mean, if Satan would have known the plan, what was going on, he would not have obliged, you know, he would not have taken the bait. He wouldn't have obliged God and just killed the, the Messiah. Um, this, like that fact, the, the hidden plan of God to redeem us is like the mystery that's talked about uh, by Paul, like all over the place. And like if you just look up the word mystery, he talks about it a lot. This is the mystery that was kept hidden. Uh, I'm just going to read like three, three mentions that Paul makes out of it. And he says, it's the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifest, manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that, again, that Christ in you, the union to the Son of God, what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. So what is of Jesus is, is mine, is yours, and what's mine is his. He takes our sin, and he gives us his life, his joy, his peace, his immortality, all of it. You know, and at the hope of glory, like what he's talking about there is that undying, that immortality uh, with God on the remade earth. So 
Romans 16, Paul talks about again. He says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to the obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. So, like, the wise God. I love that. And it's like, you can, God's revealing the mystery. He's like, now, now is the right time. Like, he is 100% punctual. He is right on time with his plan. He executes it. And it's, it's perfect timing. Now it's revealed to us. And, and finally, in Ephesians 3, says, you know, the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities, like to the powers of darkness in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you can see this eternal purpose of God unfolding. And Jesus destroying death and sin and the authority of the rulers by dying and coming back to life is totally not what the Jews were expecting. And it's obviously totally not what the powers of darkness were expecting either because they wouldn't have done it. You know, like they're like, oh, what did we just do? Oh, we fell right into his plan. You know, like just, oh, it's, I love how God is like just so wise and he's so powerful that he's accomplishing this plan. It's totally perfect. Like, can anyone think of a better way to do this? Because <laughs> I can't. Like, he needed to die. He needed to become a man. He needed to become mortal. He, you know, and then uh, he's got the enemy, and he uses the enemy's own desires against him. He falls into his own trap, and voila, here comes, you know, like, here's salvation. And uh, I just, I love the wisdom of God. Like, he is totally brilliant. And even though it wasn't what the people of God were expecting, God took the plans of the powers of darkness and Satan and he turned it into the best thing that has ever happened to the human race. So God is powerful enough and wise enough to exercise all that, you know, that all-knowingness, the being outside of time, so he can see everything that's going to happen before it happens. He takes that foreknowledge, he takes his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, and he's like, Oh, and he's, he's exercising his will and using all of that towards the end of doing the highest possible good to you. He's just, just pouring his heart into this plan. And it's not like, he's not like the powers of darkness that use their power to do harm. He's love. Right? So he's, he's using all the resources at his disposal, which is a lot, for our good. And it's not just our good. It's like 
Like I'm saying, you know, like it's our highest good. He's not like, well, I'll deliver you from bad political rulers. He's like, yeah, maybe, but let's focus on the deeper thing. Like how about I just deliver you from death? How about I just make it so that, yeah, like, you know, you're, you're going to die, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Like, it's, it's, the sting is taken out, right? The sting of death is gone. Like, it's actually a super positive thing. Like, you just go to be home with God. And then from then on, he's like, how about I just give you your, a new life? Like, how about undying life? How's that sound? Where no one can kill you. There's no powers of darkness to mess with you. There's no sin. You're, you're not going to desire sin. How about that? That sounds pretty good. He's like, yeah, let's do that. That's the highest good I can think of. You know, God, he's doing the highest good that he knows of in his all-knowingness. He's like, that, that is what I intended from the beginning. You know, let's do that. Like, he's so wise, and he's so good, and he just executed it perfectly. Uh, so let's just listen. I'm going to read just a few scriptures here about, like, you know, the victory role, like what actually happened according to mostly Paul here. But, uh, you know, it says, ascending on high, he, it's referring to Jesus, led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. And now he ascended, quote, what is it except that he also descended to the lower regions of the earth? The one who descended himself is also the one who ascended above all the heavens in order that he might fill all things. This is John when he sees Jesus in, in Revelation. He says, in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a, two, a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. So our king is holding the keys of death and hell. The power of the grave. He robbed the grave. Like the songs we've been singing, I've been enjoying them. Uh, and he says, uh, this is in Colossians 2, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, again, the powers of darkness, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Hebrews 2 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who, through fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. 2 Timothy says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity 
but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And he says, for this, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For these, this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So I'm just I'm going to wrap up with some application, but I mean, can we just join Paul and say, you know, you're like Paul had this revelation, like God is opening up this truth to him about the eternal plan of God. And and Paul's looking at this and he's just going, oh, whoa. And he's like, I trust him. Like, look what he has done. I'm going to trust him with my life. And he's going to deliver. Like, you know, what he said there at the end, like, I, he's able. He's able. And he's willing to keep me. So, really, I just, I wanted to kind of unpack that a little bit this morning. Just, hopefully, to the effect that, you know, we can... Uh, let ourselves trust and hope in him more this morning, hopefully wholeheartedly, and just to rest in him, like the wisdom of his leadership in our lives. I mean, if that's what he did then, you know, we're not at the end of the story yet, and we have prophecies that have not been fulfilled yet, and the ones that I think of are more, it's like the new heavens and the new earth. The joy that we're going to have in that place. And, you know, the wedding supper, like, we're, I don't know how that works. We're going to eat. I don't know. I, I hope, if there's not ribeye, it's going to be way better. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of like just to be encouraged and, and to know, like, whatever you're thinking of, your best, highest thought of what glory is and what your new life is going to be like, it's way, way better. You know, just like the, the people of God looking at the prophecy of deliverance from their enemies and the oppressor, and then what they get is eternal life and oneness with God, and basically Eden all over again, only better because it's indestructible. You know, like, that's the kind of progression. So, like, just like they're viewing the prophecy of the coming Messiah and linking it to physical deliverance, you know, whatever you're thinking of for eternity, like, just up it to that same amount. Does that make sense? Like, just... Bump it up like a few thousand notches, and it's you'll be closer. Like, like if you're thinking to yourself, well, that just sounds too good to be true, then we're getting closer, right? Because God, like, his plans are so, so much better than you can imagine. I mean, do you see his wisdom? Do you see God doing so much more than they could imagine? Do you see a warrior fighting for you? Do you see his heart behind what he's doing? You know, his heart behind it 
you know, the, the joy set before him, you know, for the joy set before me endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? Well, it says that you are the reward of his suffering. So he really is this, I, look, I mean, he's like this bridegroom warrior king. That's our God. Like, he is in love with his people, and it's because <laughs> that's who he is. Like, God is love. He's like the sun shining in its strength. He just loves, and it's not because of, like, you gaining favor with him by what you do. Like, I mean, there's a balance there. We want to please him, but, I mean, he just, he loves you already. He loved you before you even came to him, right? Like, he's doing all of this. So this whole plan was set in motion in eternity past before you were born, way before we were born. Like, it was already in his heart to do all of this and to express himself this way. And so it really has nothing to do with you, you know, earning it at all. In fact, that's almost like slapping in the face when you try and earn his affection like that. And uh, so he's... Kingship, I love just like his sovereignty, his control, his exercise of authority and power to do good. And yeah, he's a warrior. Like he's totally fighting for us. So, there's more, but I think, I think I'm just going to kind of wind down here. I just want us to see that his heart is better than we think it is, that he is trustworthy, that we can let go of everything that we're trying to hang on to for life that's not him, because when he's asking us to let go of stuff, it's not just because he's mean, like, because he's not. He's trying to give us something much, much better. So just... Trust him. Like if there's stuff in your life and, and you know he's like, ah, oh, you need to let go of that, even if it's something that's like legal or okay, you know, just he's not trying to take from you. Like he's trying to give something to you, and it's much, much, much better than what you have. So I just, you know, like, um, in the Song of Solomon, the bride says, this is my beloved, and this is my friend. You know, and that's just, like, <laughs> I feel like that's kind of where I'm, I was like, you know, this is, this is the one who is our king. This is our beloved. This is our friend. You know, he is altogether lovely. He is fairer than the sons of men. He's far better than anything else that you can desire, far better than what you can imagine. No one is like him. 
He alone is the radiance of God's excellence. He is beautiful, and he has captured my heart. His words are sweet to me because they bring my spirit to life. His face shines like the sun. His smile destroys my gloom. He is the emanation of the pure glory of the Almighty. He is the brightness of the eternal light. He is the spotless mirror of the activity of God and the exact representation of his goodness. His ways are perfect. He leads us in them. His plans spring from a goodness that is far too deep for us to measure. I'm going to end with, uh, I know I keep saying that, but I'm going to end, and then I don't. <laughs> um, Four endings, sweet. I got like at least one more. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you hear people say or you think to yourself, if I only had more faith. Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So you're hearing the word. Mostly read the Bible today. <laughs> Nothing really new. But uh, let your faith rise up. It's not how strong your faith is. It's more how strong is the one that you put your faith in. So it's not up to you to know everything. God is not asking you to be Atlas and carry the world on your shoulders. He's not asking you to know and figure out your life. He's just saying, I'm your God. I'll do that. Like, I want to do that for you. You, all you have to do is just trust me. Trust my leadership. It's, my experience, it's more on the, <laughs> the short-term side. Like, he, when he leads me, he's not telling me, like, when I became a believer, like, this is the plan for your life. Like, here's the next 50 years of your life. This is exactly what's going to happen. You need to do this, 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 this. doesn't really work that way because I think if he did that, we would all just take that plan and go do it our way, right? Or just be like, man, that doesn't sound good to me. Let's do something else. Yeah, so he, yeah. So he's like, no, I, I know you guys. I know that your heart is, you know, like the song says, prone to wander, prone to leave the God you love. And he's like, Let's just keep it real simple. How about I just lead you day to day, moment by moment. That way you stay close to me. That way your heart sticks with me. And just, he's not asking you to figure it all out. He just wants you to trust him. And hopefully by what we're looking at this morning, like it's a little easier for you just to trust him because you're like, man, his plans are so awesome. And he executes them so well. His plan for your life is so awesome, and he he's going to execute his plan for your life. The powers of darkness, we've already seen, like, he is completely able and willing to use everything, you know, the attack that's coming on you by the powers of darkness, sin, all that, and he just, it's like jujitsu, he just, like, uses the weight of the attacker and just uses it against him, and he... You know, what's the verse? You know, he works all things. 
for the good of those who love him, right? So he is able to do that. So just focus on walking with him today, and then tomorrow, just walk with him again. And um, I don't know. I mean, I guess if you need a picture, it's like Braveheart's my favorite movie of all time. I would love to just show you guys the whole thing, but and then like expound it. <laughs> like, it was just the time in my life. Like I, I see so much of God in that movie, but it's, anyways. <laughs> so the, for those of you who have seen it, uh, you know when they make the spears. Nick, you've seen it, right? Okay, so like the first battle, and they no army has ever held up against the charge of the heavy cavalry. Uh, the entire northern army of England is attacking these Scots, and they let them charge, and then they all, you know, yell right when it's like too late for the horses to slow down. They all get down and they hold up these huge spears that they've made, and the horse, the heavy cavalry, just runs right into it. They just impale themselves, you know, and they win the battle. And that's what I see. Like God is wise, like that. Like that's a picture of how God deals with evil. Like, they plot against us, but God just, he's like, ah, well, saw that one coming, sorry. You know, must be really frustrating for the powers of darkness because, like, every time they attack, they're just, they're just killing, you know, impaling themselves. You know, they're like, oh, you just, he turned it for good again. Oh, maybe we should try again. And they just keep trying and trying and trying. And it's like, nope, they just lose every time. So, yeah, it's like, man, no weapon formed against you, right? Like, shall wit, shall, shall prosper. Like, that is how God is with us. And so we can kind of let go of the fear of the future, the fear that stuff just isn't going to work out. You know, like, God has it together. He's, he's got you. Okay, final ending, Psalm 2. Final, 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 final ending. Psalm 2 says, Why are the nations in an uproar, and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, the Messiah. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. And then he says, God says, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. And then he keeps going. But I love just that God is sovereign, i.e., Got it. <laughs> he reigns over the universe. Nothing that can happen to you is outside of his control, his influence, his power, his ability to reach out and save you. So he's leading us to a very, 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 very good place. I don't want to minimize saying, like, it's not going to be good in this life. I mean, obviously, he's desiring 
us to have his joy, to have his peace now. But, man, it's going to be good, like, later. <laughs> right? I mean, so... That is the end, and I will not say anything more. <laughs>